Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by guest preacher, Reverend Michael Allen. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Good morning. Our scripture leading this morning is from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. This can be found in the New Testament section of our Red Pew Bibles, beginning on page 214. Before I read scripture, please join me in a prayer for illumination. God, our helper, show us your ways and teach us your paths. By your Holy Spirit, open our minds that we may be led in your truth and taught your will. Then, we may, then may we praise you by listening to your word and by obeying it. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hebrews 10, verse 19. My friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us con consider how to provoke one another to love and do good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. And good morning to all of you who are watching online. It is always a privilege and a, and a real blessing for me uh, to be invited to bring the word of God to the people of God here at First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. I want you to know that I love Jesus and I also love your pastor and his family what a blessing they have been to my family and I over these last 10 or 12 years I think it is Judith that we've known each other and uh, we have a lot in common and uh, Jesus is the most important thing but we also have a Jamaican heritage in common as well and it is a delight to have known your pastor for these many years and to fill in his pulpit, uh, this pulpit for several times. And I think this is my third or fourth time uh, preaching here. And it's always a delight to see some old friends like my friend Elder John Mock, who's here this morning. And for those of you who are watching online, we wish you were here, but we understand and we, we bless you. Pastor Ray, if you're watching, uh, look forward to our next time to be together. And we're praying for you as you visit and minister to your mother in upstate New York. Let's pause now for just a brief word of prayer as we ask God's blessing on the preaching and teaching of his word. Father, we love you today and thank you so much for the privilege to be gathered together in person and online to worship, to pray, to hear your word. And we ask that you would bless the preaching and teaching of your word. May it take root and bear fruit in our lives so that we look more and more like Jesus 
because we've come this way today. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. How many of you have the gift of hospitality? A few of you. Good. That's great. I mean, you absolutely love, love, love inviting people into your home. Uh, you love setting a beautiful table. Uh, you relish the opportunity to cook and bake your special recipes for your friends, your family, and even some strangers. You don't mind. You love it. Now, how many of you don't have the gift of hospitality, but you love those that do have that gift? And you love when they invite you to partake in their gift of hospitality. It's so much fun, isn't it? There is such joy both for the giver and the receiver of that wonderful gift of hospitality. The title of the message today is A Gracious Invitation. We're going to talk about the divine invitation. Did you know that God graciously invited every believer to commune with him, to hang out in his presence? Do you know how special we must be to get such an invitation? Wouldn't you feel special if you got a royal invitation from the Queen of England to attend a banquet at the palace in London? Wouldn't you feel special? If you got an invitation and none of your neighbors did or none of the other church members did, you'd feel pretty special, right? Just imagine how special you would feel if you got an invitation from the President of the United States to attend a state dinner at the White House. Well, God's given the ultimate gracious invitation. Let's look at it in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, he says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Let's stop right there. Let's start with the word brothers. Again, notice the writer is talking to believers. Again, notice the word is only used in the New Testament as a reference to brothers and sisters in Christ. This divine and very gracious invitation is only for believers. It is not for unbelievers. Next, we should notice the phrase, since we have confidence. Now, the writer includes himself here, along with the brothers, and it's almost as if he's reminding them of a present an ongoing status that they have as welcomed guests into the most holy place. Have you ever invited someone into your home and after a great meal and fun fellowship, they're at your door saying goodbye and thanking you profusely for your wonderful hospitality. And here's how you respond. You're welcome anytime. Anybody ever said that? You're welcome anytime. Now, most of the time you mean it. But sometimes you really don't mean it. Especially when you realize someone interpreted your invitation to mean like every other day they're showing up at your door trying to get some of your hospitality. 
They become so bold and so confident that they don't even knock on your door anymore. They just walk right in. You have any neighbors and friends like that? Listen, God is never bothered by his children when we come, crawl up in his lap, and hang out with him in prayer and meditation on his word. He welcomes us each and every day. We are welcome anytime. And he means it. God's like, you're welcome here anytime, my child. You don't even have to knock. You just come right on in to the throne room, and my presence, and you are safe with me. Now, the last half of verse 19 and into verse 20, the writer of Hebrews tells us why we can be so bold, why we can be so confident to enter God's most holy sanctuary so boldly and so confidently. And the verse 19 says, it's by the blood of Jesus that we have the right and privilege to enter God's holy presence. Without the blood of Jesus, we would immediately be condemned and drop dead before the holy God. Did you know that? Let me explain why. You remember in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with Israel to be their exclusive God, and they were to be his exclusive people. Matter of fact, God calls Israel his wife, just like he calls the church his bride. And remember God said he would localize his holy presence first in the tabernacle. That was the portable temple. And then later he did the same in that stationary, permanent-like structure in Jerusalem. Now both the tabernacle and the temple were carefully and very, very specifically designed by God and built by Israel. And in both structures, God told them that they were to build a special room for the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the tablets of the Ten Commandments. And it was in that sacred room where God localized his presence. The Shekinah glory of God rested in that room on the Ark of the Covenant. Both structures were to be regarded as holy to the people of Israel. But the sacred room was the holy of holies, or the most holy place. And, and God's rule was that only one person could ever enter that room, and only one time per year. That person was the high priest of Israel, and that day was Yom Kippur, the day of covering. That's what Yom Kippur means. Yom means day in Hebrew. Kippur means to cover. Yom Kippur, the Jewish people still celebrate that one of many holidays throughout the Jewish calendar. Yom Kippur, the day of covering. When the high priest would bring a special blood sacrifice for the sins of the nation of Israel. Now here's the thing. If the high priest went into the most holy place with a bad attitude or a guilty conscience or unconfessed sin, or if he entered the most holy place on any other day other than Yom Kippur, he would be struck dead by God. And of course, nobody else would be allowed to go in to the Holy of Holies without suffering the same fate. 
And so you know what they did? They tied a rope around the ankle of the high priest so that just in case he was having a bad day and things weren't right between him and God and he was judged and died, they would pull him out by his ankles with that rope so that they wouldn't have to risk their own lives going into the most holy of holies. You see, our God is so holy. He is so righteous. He is so perfect that anyone who comes into his presence that is not holy, righteous, or perfect is immediately judged and struck down. That's just the effect that happens when you enter into the presence of a holy God if you're unholy. Holiness cannot tolerate unholiness. And this is the context of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. This is why the writer of Hebrews is so excited to share this good news by way of reminder to the church. The good news is that we who believe, we don't have to be afraid to enter into the holy of holies. There should be no fear of judgment, no fear of death for us believers because of what our Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary for us. Incredible. Look at verse 20. We can now enter the most holy place. How? By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. The Holy of Holies in the temple and in the tabernacle had a very thick curtain as a doorway. It was the only way into the Holy of Holies and the only way out of the Holy of Holies. That curtain separate, separated the localized holy presence of God from everyone and everything else that was unholy. But now, the writer of Hebrews says, there's a new and living way open for us through that curtain of separation. So, what is that new and living way? Somebody said Jesus. Hallelujah. You go to the head of the class. That's always the right answer in Sunday school. Jesus. So it's really not what is that new and living way, it is who is that new and living way. And you can see it for yourself right in the text. This would have been incredible news for the first century Jew to hear. That curtain is now Jesus, and he's opened the way for us who believe to have unfettered, bold, and confident access to the one and only most holy God. Now, do you remember in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, verse 51, the scripture says that the, the moment Jesus died on the cross, that very moment, the curtain in the temple, what happened to it? It ripped from top to bottom, the Bible says, as the earth shook 
and the rocks split open. That was no coincidence. I like to call it a godsidence. You see, at that very moment of his death, Jesus' body symbolized the curtain, that new and living way into the Holy of Holies for those who believe and receive his death and resurrection by faith for the forgiveness of our sins. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No wonder in John 14, Jesus says, I am the what? Way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me or by me. In John 10, Jesus said, I am the gate. I am the door for the sheep of God's pasture. Now back in Hebrews, verse 21, we read this. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us what? Draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now here the writer of Hebrews is answering the question that every first century Jewish person is asking. It is the how question. How in the world can anyone be good enough to enter into that most holy place and stand before God without certain judgment of death? How can that be? It is unheard of in all of Israel. And he says, church, you know. You already know, don't you? We have not just any old high priest. No, we have a great high priest over the house of God. Therefore, since that is true, then let us confidently and boldly accept his gracious invitation because our conscience has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and our bodies washed by baptism. That's the inference there of the washing of our bodies through baptism. Now, you Presbyterians sprinkle baptism. The Baptists, we Baptists, we fully immerse. I'm not here to debate which is better, which is best. I think we're both going to find ourselves in heaven, all right? But you see, the high priest would take a hyssop branch or twig and dip it into the blood of the animal sacrifice and would sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, which contained on top of it what was called the mercy seat. Well, Jesus is not only the sacrificial lamb, the Bible says, but he's also the great high priest. So metaphorically speaking, he dips his own finger in his own blood and he sprinkles it on the consciences of our hearts, of his own believers, so that when God looks at our hearts, he sees the blood of his own son and he forgives us. And then he cleanses our conscience. And then when our bodies are baptized in water, it is an outward sign of what has happened inside. It's incredible. It is incredible. Right now, all of us should be standing up and singing the doxology. Right here. Nobody's standing up and singing the doxology. I don't get it. 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Choir, you may be seated. Verse 23, he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. The writer continues to build his logical argument. He started out by saying, since we have confidence to enter into the most holy place without being struck dead, and since we have a great high priest who has forgiven us and cleansed us, let us do the following. First of all, verse 22, let us draw near to God without fear, but instead with confidence. Just like the little children were taught a moment ago. We don't ever have to be afraid when we've done something wrong to go to God and ask for forgiveness. We don't ever have to be afraid to connect with God, to commune with God, to speak to him. Because we've got this great high priest who has opened the door. He has opened the way for us. Do you know that there are people, human beings, adults, not just children, but people who are afraid to step foot into a church or they are afraid to pray because they are keenly aware of their own sinful condition. And they don't believe or they simply don't understand this gracious invitation offered by way of God's grace. And then there are those. There are those of us who think too little of our sin and think too little of God. And we sometimes boldly enter into the church and take communion with a guilty conscience without first confession, repentance, and seeking forgiveness. Shame on us when we do that. The writer speaks to both kinds of people. And that's why he says, come confidently to God, but come with a sincere heart that has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Verse 23. He says, let us also hold on to this great hope that we profess. What hope? It is the hope of salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. And, and what reason do we have to hold so tightly to our hope of salvation? Our God is faithful. He is a faithful God. He, he, he's not only a promise maker, but he is a promise keeper. Can you name one promise? One promise that God has made that he has not kept. Can you name one? I don't think you can. God is not like us who sometimes make promises that we can't keep or we don't keep. When the world with all of its trials and tragedies cause you to lose hope, we believers of all people, we can hold on to hope because we have a God who is faithful from beginning to end. He's never made a promise that he has not kept or he will not keep. 
We can hold on to the hope that we have in Christ Jesus because he is faithful. He will do what he said he will do. And he proved it on the cross. And he proved it by way of the empty grave. How many of you have been to Israel? I've had the privilege to go three times, and every time I went to Israel, my favorite place is a garden too. And I love the little sign on the top before you enter. You gotta bow your head to go underneath into that hewned out rock in the side of the hill. And the sign says, he's not here. <laughs> he's risen. Therefore, we of all people are to be filled with hope. And we are to hold on to that hope because of the death, burial, and resurrection, the bodily death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He continues, since we have access to the most holy place, and since we have a great high priest, verse 24, then let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, notice, the writer moves from our relationship with God to our relationship with ourselves, and now to our relationship with each other. Remember the great commandment one day Jesus, somebody asked Jesus, hey, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? Remember what Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's all right here, and it's all connected. When we have a right relationship with God, we can have a right relationship with ourselves and then also with others. So then, the question is, let us consider how we encourage each other. The assumption of the why question is already asked and answered. The why question is, why should we care about each other? Why should we even love each other? And the answer is because God loved us first. And because God loved us and created a right relationship between him and us, we are then able to live and love ourselves despite our failures because we can be forgiven and have the grace of God operating in our lives. Therefore then, having a vertical relationship taken care of, the horizontal now comes into play where we are to consider how we love and encourage one another. So how do we spur or motivate each other towards love and good deeds? Well, it's much harder to do if you don't come together in worship and fellowship. Verse 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Which day is that? It's the day of the coming of the Lord. And listen, he's closer to coming today than he was yesterday. Nobody knows when the Lord will return, but he's closer today than he was yesterday. So therefore, in light of the coming of the Lord, let him come and find us not only communing with God with a clear conscience, boldly entering in, but also let him come find us fellowshipping together, worshiping together, encouraging, loving one another as Christ has loved us. 
You see, the first century religious life was more like a communal, communal life. You remember in the book of Acts, it was said of the early church that, that they sold their possessions and they held everything in common so that every member's need would be met by the collective. Now, I don't have to tell you that the COVID-19 virus has had a devastating effect on the church. It has severely tested this admonition of Scripture. And while we thank God for modern conveniences of technology that enables us to virtually see and hear each other, it is important to be reminded that God has made us not only to have a divine connection to him, but also a human face-to-face -face connection with each other. Sociologists have studied the effects of Zoom and other digital communications during this global pandemic, and they have concluded that a large percentage of how we communicate and connect with each other is lost through digital media. In other words, the in-person gathering is irreplaceable. And so let me be clear and gentle. With those watching by digital media today, you are dearly loved by God and by your church. Make no mistake about that. But if you don't have a good medical reason why not to gather in person with your local church, you should gladly and boldly come back to the gathering of God's people because you're missing something important, something irreplaceable, something that you cannot get from the digital media. And it doesn't matter how crystal clear your picture and sound is on your screen, there is something about the way God made us that is only optimized when we see each other face to face and where we, we are proximate and are able to touch each other. You know what the doctor does when a mother's baby is born and the baby is cleaned up? They, the nurses are instructed and trained to clean up the baby as soon as possible. And then you know what they do? They place the naked baby on the naked mother's breasts. Human touch. And the scientists have told us, who may or may not be believers, but they've confirmed this admonition of Scripture that there's something about the human touch, even an infant touching skin to skin against its mother, that when that happens, there's a development and a connection that is so healthy and vibrant for the infant that when it doesn't happen, that child will be messed up emotionally, mentally, and even physically if they don't get that immediate touching bond with the mother. Well, the same is true in some ways when we as brothers and sisters enter into this sanctuary, this sacred space. Something divine, unique happens. I hadn't seen Sister Judith here in a while. A lot of times, sometimes we'll have lunch together, double date, lunch or dinner, at each other's homes or out to the restaurant. And I haven't seen them since the pandemic. But you know, the first thing I asked Sister Judith when I saw her, it's your first lady. I said, can I hug you? 
it just came out. And she said, of course, and she gave me a hug. Of course, we had our masks on, and I'm sure we're both vaccinated and all of that. But there's, a, there's something in us. When I saw Brother John, Monk, we not only shook hands, we hugged. Hadn't seen him in a couple of years. It's instinctive. It is within us. And so, long before the pandemic, God knew. God knew that how he made us to connect and to relate and to be together. That's why he put the scripture here to remind us, to admonish us, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. But this is where we come to figure out the how question. How can I encourage you? How can I pray for you? What's going on with so-and-so? How's your marriage? How are the kids? What can I do? How can I serve you and your family? And that happens in the meantime and between time, as before and after the service and in Sunday school class and small groups and so on and so forth. Now, we understand if you have underlying medical risks to your life and well-being and you're under doctor's orders to avoid crowds, there's grace for that. And we can understand that. But otherwise, come back to your local church family. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as some have developed the habit of, during, of doing that during this long COVID pandemic season. But encourage one another by way of your physical presence. Now in closing, isn't it interesting to note that God didn't remain in spirit form and shout down from heaven, I love you, earth, from heaven to earth, I love you. He didn't align the stars in the shape of a heart to communicate his love to us. He could have done that. He's God. He could have taken the stars and said, hey, stars, line up, L, instead of the, you know, Orion's belt and all of that stuff. He could have created a love heart symbol. He could have written, I love you with the stars or the clouds. God didn't do that. He became a human being and came to this sin-cursed pandemic earth. And that's why his name is Emmanuel. Literally means in Hebrew, God with us. We're entering into that season when we hear those Christmas songs and those scriptures are read about Emmanuel, God with us. He became one of us to save us by his precious blood. And if he was willing to do that, shouldn't we at least consider? Shouldn't we consider, like the scripture says, how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds? Shouldn't we consider coming back together again? after mitigating as much risk as we can. I pray that you will receive today God's gracious invitation, both into his presence and into the presence of one another. Let's pray. Father, how we love you and thank you for your word to us this morning from the book of Hebrews. Thank you for the making a way for us to boldly come into your presence. 
by way of that curtain, the bruised, bloodied body of Jesus, torn, pierced for us to make a way to you. Thank you that by faith in him, through confession of our sins, we can be forgiven and cleansed. We can have a right relationship to you and with ourselves and with one another. Thank you. We bless your name. You are so good. You are so awesome. Lord, help us to take these words to heart and find ways to live them out each and every day to the praise and glory of your great name. And all God's people said, amen.